The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran some of us focus a lot on our physical health and maybe we neglect our emotional health and others of us have devoted our lives to being kind to animals but sometimes we're not all that kind to people So today, we're going to try to get the balance back in both those areas. In the second half of the program, we'll talk with Dr. Leanne Fritz about putting stress in its place. And we'll open with Chelsea Lincoln of Fat Vegan Voice about body positivity and why we could use some more of it right here in the vegan movement. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Program. I'm also director of Main Street Vegan Academy, where you yourself, if you so desired, could be trained and certified as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator in a magical six days in New York City. So to find out about that and the other fascinating things we do at Main Street Vegan, I invite you to visit my website, MainStreetVegan.net. You can also join the Main Street Vegan podcast listeners group on Facebook. Now, without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you, if you don't know her already, Chelsea Lincoln, a longtime vegan and fat liberation activist. She runs Fat Vegan Voice, a blog and Facebook page that creates more inclusion in the vegan community by honoring body diversity and supporting fellow fat vegans. She spends her free time going on nature adventures, photographing wildlife, and playing with her companion animals, cats, rats, and guinea pigs. Welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me on your show. (laughs) Oh, it's wonderful to have you. And am I hearing guinea pigs in the background? (laughs) No, I'm actually, um, you're probably hearing a little bit of nature sounds outside. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, I live in New York City. I don't get a lot of nature sounds, although I do have an adopted (laughs) pigeon and he does do some cooing. I'm amazed that you can have cats, rats, and guinea pigs. Do the cats kind of look at you funny sometimes and say, (laughs) this is very tempting? 
The, the cats are very fascinated with both of them, but especially the guinea pigs. They're a little obsessed. Um, we actually have a what we call rat room where the guinea pigs and rats live, um, where they can have space without the cats. <laughs> but sometimes they do have monitored sessions together for the animals that um, are, are cool with the cats. So we, we sure. listen to them and tell them what they tell us what they want. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so nice. So I know that we have a topic for the day, but I do need to ask you about companion rats. I have heard that they can be some of the most enchanting animals to live with. What's your experience? <laughs> um, I think most people that end up having rats, they kind of get addicted because they are, they really are the most amazing. They're so super smart. I always describe them as like dogs, except for smarter and smaller. Um, and I mean, they're absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, it's the one hard thing is they have short lives. Like you're lucky if you get three years, um, so they're also kind of known as the heartbreak pet. Um, oh. But, you know, all the good times is worth the sadness. And all of my rats are also rescues. So I'm also helping them find good homes. Um, recently, um, I brought Linus, an older rat who Lighthouse Farm Sanctuary actually contacted me when they were someone reached out to them. And he was living on a porch outside in 20 degree weather all by himself and didn't even have a name. Um, and he was about two years old. So he's he's one of my more recent additions. And, um, you know, he's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I mean, adopting a senior animal is always such an act of love. And you get so much love back. Ah, oh, so that's a wonderful <laughs> additional thing to know about you. So let's start with your vegan history. How did you get to go from normal North American girl to uh, <laughs> podcaster, blogger, uh, very well known in, in certain circles. Uh, well, I always contribute my veganism to my childhood guinea pig, Christy. Um, you know, I actually got her for my seventh birthday. Um, and, you know, I was definitely in a time where I was bullied a lot growing up for my size. Um, I also had other difficult family situations and she was my savior. You know, every time I had a hard, I was having a hard time, I would get her out and she would kiss my tears away and would purr and make me feel okay. Um, and being able to have that emotional connection made me realize that she's not the only one being able to have this emotional connection. And I was able to realize that all animals, you know, are these, their own individual beings with feelings and thoughts and emotions of their own. And so, you know, I started to do more about research about cruelty towards animals because I, I could see it happening throughout society. Um, I was mostly vegetarian in high school and um, went vegan in college um, and started doing activism in college because I was finally able to get to a point where you know, I was able to make all the connections and it, it all started from my guinea pig. <laughs> ah, so, and how did you get into the fat acceptance movement? Um, so I was doing everything that people claim is right in terms of, you know, I was incredibly active. I was eating a balanced, you know, health, you know, healthy vegan diet. Um, and I couldn't understand why I was still fat. And I had this realization one day, I was like, I need to accept myself the size I am, or I'm going to be unhappy for the rest of my life. And so that started my journey towards fat acceptance. Um, and you're pretty much always on that journey because society can be so harsh with 
that bias, you know, throughout our culture. Um, and so it's a constant thing I work on and reminded to work on. Um, but it's the greatest thing I could have ever done for my for my health. Um, and so I tend to not do things just for myself. And seeing all the you know, fat injustices that was happening around me and to me, I started speaking up more and more. I did a zine called Take It, It's My Body to start with. And that was kind of my starting off point um, to process everything I was dealing with. Um, I started meeting other fat activists um, and, and getting more involved as as time went on doing different things. I was a part of um, of a cheerleading troupe and uh, in Portland, which was really fun that we performed around town doing uh, fat positive cheers. Um, and it was really great to find that, that community of support. Now you use uh, the three letter F word quite a bit. And I have to say that even in asking you that question, I wanted to say, how did you get into body positivity? How did you get into acceptance of diverse body sizes? I didn't really want to say fat acceptance, but because that was the word you used, I said it. So <laughs> let's talk about the word that some people don't feel comfortable with. And why do you identify as fat? Great question. Um, obviously, you shouldn't identify anyone else. It's up to the individual to identify how they feel. But for me, fat is, is a neutral word. Um, it's a descriptor, just like someone is short or tall. I'm fat. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just my body size. And so by reclaiming that word to not be something negative, then that's one step towards, um, you know, fat acceptance and body acceptance. Um, you know, if, if we try and separate fat acceptance and body acceptance, we start creating a you know, a dichotomy that's that's not healthy. You know, all bodies are good bodies, uh, which includes fat bodies. So have you been treated differently in the vegan community because of your size? Definitely. I mean, there's been a lot of examples throughout my time. Um, I was highly active in the um, late 90s, early 2000s um, with activism. Um, and I felt like when I was doing larger um, events with other activists, oftentimes I wasn't taken as seriously. Um, part of that was also there was, you know, and it's not that different now. There's a lot of problems with sexism as well, um, especially a loud woman who's speaking up. <laughs> so I experienced both a lot of sexism and fat phobia within the vegan community doing activism. But I also was a target when we went out and did actions. Um, there was a protest we were doing at a restaurant that served veal. And someone came out of the restaurant when they were done and started to attack me with words. And people, you know, was telling them to stop and saying they're not being nice, but no one actually combated what they were saying. So I didn't feel supported by my own friends and community and no one checked on me after it was done. And so it was, it created this trauma for me and made me feel very isolated in the vegan community, which is very problematic. Um, you want to feel as if, you know, fellow activists will help you in situations like that. You know, I also have had hamburgers thrown at me, um, I'm at like a McDonald's protest um, and, you know, it's, you know, things like that. So I become also a target. So it happens in two different ways where I'm treated differently, both from the general public um, as well as from other activists. Um, you know, I've 
also had a fellow activist try and tell me that I'm not as good of a vegan because of my body size and that, you know, vegans should try and look as, you know, stereotypically, you know, fit and beautiful as possible to make the movement look attractive. And um, that obviously is very problematic since people really do come in all shapes and sizes and we need to create acceptance and inclusion in the movement if we're actually going to create a vegan world. Wow, that's that's powerful stuff. So where I see most of the shaming for practically everything is online. I mean, you've described some in-person kinds of shaming. And I know this goes on. In fact, I experienced it because I, I was a person of size in my youth. And now I'm not. I'm one of those people who... Through a combination of, of eating as a vegan and going to Overeaters Anonymous and getting a handle on my binge eating disorder, because that's my body was large because I had a problem using food as a drug. That's just my story. But mm-hmm. before the body size changed, I mean, strangers would walk up to me on the street. And I remember one person said, you know, excuse me. And I thought they needed directions or something. And he said, excuse me, do you know that you are overweight? And if, <laughs> if I had had, you know, confidence at that time, I would have said I might be fat, but I'm not blind. And so I, I know it's a terrible, terrible thing. And yet what do we do with it? Because I have people, you know, on, on this program, physicians. I mean, I had a veterinarian on not long ago who was saying that, The worst thing for a dog or a cat is to be overweight. So it's just so difficult. And then we go online where we're all anonymous and it gets really complex. So help me through this, Chelsea. Just just Mm -hmm. talk talk me down and talk us through. (laughs) Um, Well, I think the most important thing that we can do is decenter weight as a focus. You know, basically for me, I just take weight out of the equation. We can, you know, we can talk about health as a vegan movement, but don't target, you know, weight as part of that conversation. Don't focus on weight loss. I mean, because not only is weight loss, it's not guaranteed. um, And it, it creates this dynamic of making it have some value, which is a problem. Um, And so, you know, when we have, when we value thinness as a culture, we end up hurting people. And so I always say, let's just take weight out of the equation. You know, if people still have, you know, active lifestyle, if they, you know, eating a healthy vegan diet, like those are things we can still talk about and not have to talk about weight in any sort of way. Um, And so it allows for still being able to have those conversations, but still have inclusion and acceptance. Um, I think it's also really important for people to call out when you see fat shaming and body shaming within the movement. Um, I recently saw a thread where people were saying, I'm not fat shaming, but then showed an image that they were clearly calling a person like a fat blob in a very insulting, dramatic way. Um, And so that's not helpful to anyone. That hurts the animals when we use that type of imagery and that language um, towards another person. Uh, You know, for me, you know, fat justice is a social justice issue. Um, And so, you know, we need to create that body diversity acceptance, um, you know, because if we're trying to eradicate fat people, I mean, that's, 
crazy to hear, but because body diversity is natural, is normal. Um, and so focusing just on, you know, the different ways you can be healthier, that alone should be good enough. So what are ways that people can embrace and honor body diversity? Um, so, uh, you know, in your language, make sure to take weight out of the equation. I personally encourage people to not use the words obesity and overweight. Um, it's based on BMI, which was, when created, was not meant to be used in the way that it is today. Um, it's faulty science and creates judgment um, and is based all on stereotypes. Um, it creates a dismissive culture in medicine that relies on stereotypes rather than, you know, doctors actually talking to their patients and finding out what's going on. <laughs> um, so that's one thing I definitely encourage. Um, also, you know, focus more on intuitive living, so intuitive eating, intuitive, like, what works for your body in terms of activities, rather than, like, a dieting-type mindset. Um, you know, I think dieting more and more people are realizing is not a healthy thing. So they're creating new words to mean dieting, such as clean eating. Uh, but they meet, they're basically saying dieting with different words. And so we really need to decenter those type of attitudes that oftentimes are either associated or become eating disorders. Um, other things you can do is, you know, we, really we need fat allies to be speaking up when seeing things as well. I feel as if I do so much work online when I see things uh, that are uh, fat phobic and create fat bias. And oftentimes I feel very alone in doing so. And usually the other people speaking out are also fat activists. Um, and so we need more people to actually recognize the importance of this and speak up when they see things. And if they're not sure how, or if they have questions, you know, definitely reach out and ask how they can help, how they can learn. There's lots of different resources in, um, to learn about both fat as a social justice issue, as well as, um, you know, relearning the true health facts about being fat. Glenn uh, is an amazing PhD. She has a PhD and has books, Body Respect, um, and health at every size, the spreading truth about your weight. Um, I, I missed her you name. Find... You're cutting out a little bit, and I missed the name of the author. Oh, thank you for letting me know. Um, so she goes by Lindo, but you can find her information. Her website is lindabacon.org. So she is a wonderful resource for information. Um, there's also an organization called Be Nourished. And they are basically um, promoting body trust and basically learning to trust your body and um, decentering weight um, for individuals. So those are those are some great resources for people. Mm. And then you, yourself, fatveganvoice.com, fatveganvoice on Facebook and Instagram at fatveganvoice. And all those will be posted on the show notes <laughs> at mainstreetvegan.net. So Chelsea... I was called a body shamer online when I asked in one of these threads where people who are very involved in body positivity who are vegan want to put the whole food plant-based people. I read one statistic that 51% of the people in the U.S. who don't eat animal foods are doing it because they're coming 
from the health side of things. And I, it was literally just a question. And people were really angry at me for asking this question. So I just like to ask it of you. And you can also tell me why it made them so angry. But uh, if you know, I don't, I don't expect you to speak for everybody in the body positivity movement. And, and just also, can we all be allies? You know, it seems like for the animals and the planet, we need to just have our own places that we're coming from. But for the bigger picture, join together with everybody in acceptance and get this thing done. Um, well, if I think for your first question, it really has to do with, you know, first of all, there's an assumption with, you know, for whole whole plant-based living that you still can't be fat, where there you can still be fat eating incredibly healthy and being incredibly active. Um, and so you're not necessarily going to know what someone eats just based on their body size. And I think a lot of times there's that assumption. Um, but I also believe oftentimes, you know, the whole, the you know, whole grain, plant-based, whole foods, um, identified people, um, from my experience online, uh, tend to be the most body and fat shaming, um, and the most believing that if you just eat that way, then you're going to be, you know, magically thin. Um, and that's just not the reality for people, um, for everyone. I mean, certainly some people might have some benefits from it, but it's, it's not for everyone. Um, and so I think oftentimes there's also forgetting about the social justice side of things. Um, and, you know, for, you know, vegan, a vegan like myself, where I believe about the connection of oppressions, you know, my veganism is connected to fighting other injustices in the world. Um, and so to me, you can't be vegan and then be racist or homophobic, you know, they're all connected and if you're fighting for a good world that's free of discrimination, you're still helping veganism because it is all connected. Mm, it is indeed. So I'm going to ask another question that may be sending me out on a, a limb here of political incorrectness. But before having you on the program, I watched quite a few videos and things in the body positivity vegan world trying to uh, understand more about it. And there was one that I saw, and again, I know you can't speak for somebody else's video. It wasn't you, although I did see a wonderful one of you in a fashion show, and you're fabulous. Oh, thank so you. That was, that was so cool. I love clothes. I was going to go into fashion as a young woman and ended up being into vegan, which <laughs> I guess is even better. But anyway, in this YouTube that I watched, a couple of young women were taking a road trip and celebrating the food along the way, and at one point, point one of them ate a quantity of donuts I actually think it was four but I'm going to say it was three just because I don't want to exaggerate you know somebody else's experience and they were larger bodies but to me if somebody eats that many donuts in a sitting at any size I'm just thinking why you know it, it seems like if if I were to do that I would feel like it was that I disliked myself in that moment. So tear me apart and break it down and, and help me understand. I was trying to, you know, get my mind around this philosophy, which good Lord, because I suffered from fat shaming for so long, I thought I was already there, 
but I see I'm not there. So help me with accepting the multiple donut eating as, as part of this whole thing. Well, I think, you know, the fact that you just created judgment on that person based on their size and what they were eating is problematic in itself because there's thin people that eat that many donuts. Absolutely. And I would find, I would see that the same way, you know, and and so I think it's about, yeah, it's about individual choice. I mean, you know, you know, especially, you know, you don't know the person, you know, besides that one moment and, you know, indulge once in a while on, you know, any sort of food is not going to harm them in that one specific situation. Um, There's also no moral obligation to health. You know, if someone wants to do that with their own body, that's their choice. Um, It doesn't mean that we still need to create this, you know, judgment. Um, They're still completely worthy of respect. They're still human beings. Um, But I think, you know, there are people that, you know, indulge, um, you know, in all sorts of different ways, you know, in their life. And I, I think that, and that happens in all sizes. The problem is when you see someone who is fat or a larger size, there becomes this idea that that's who they are. Um, there's oftentimes in media, you see this headless fatty image that people call it. Um, and it's so demoralizing. And it's just like creating the stereotype and this idea that fat people are only their um, your their bulging body parts and what they're eating and human beings are much more than that um, and so we just need to try and stop judgment because that's that person's individual choice it's not harming anyone um, you know and you know as long as it's vegan it's cool <laughs> so just really quickly I could talk to you forever Chelsea this is so fascinating <laughs> So, so for someone, you know, who's, this is a very important, uh, you know, moral and, and social justice uh, issue for you. So when, when you're talking about people who, you know, eat really healthfully, you know, most of the time and are active and whatnot, and then somebody videotapes the donuts, you don't judge. So I guess I shouldn't either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there, there's no reason to judge. I mean, people indulge as part of life, you know, and there's, you know, there's no reason to, um, you know, and yeah. So <laughs> I don't know what else to say. For no, that, this, this is, this is really, this is really, really helping. I especially liked what you talked about people, their, their bodies are their own and it's nobody's business what we do with, with our bodies. And I think a lot of us would certainly say that in, in some other contexts, and we need to be saying it in this context too. Chelsea Lincoln, Fat Vegan Voice, bless your heart. This was an eye-opener. Thank you so, so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. And I also want to give a shout out to um, the Unlikely Vegan, who unfortunately wasn't able to do this podcast, but originally was going to. So you should also check out her work. Oh, absolutely. The Unlikely Vegan, Shani Farhaven. She came through Main Street Vegan Academy. Love her to pieces. Everybody, stay with us through these messages, and we'll be back with more of the Main Street Vegan program. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio.
the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Ogan Holder, taken from a talk at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Vulnerability is very uncomfortable. But as we know from so many teachings by so many people and from our own experience, the only way we will ever experience true connection is to be vulnerable, to be open. And to say, but, but we say to ourselves, but when we're vulnerable, we risk being hurt. Well, you only risk being hurt, again, if you don't get a full understanding of how love works. Nothing and no one can hurt you. Nothing and no one is against you. And everything that happens in your life, as I always say, and I will always say, so if I keep saying it and you keep hearing it and you get tired of me hearing it, I apologize. But everything happens in our life as an opportunity for us to show up as God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Ah, Italy. The food, the wine, the art, the culture. Join friends from Unity on a trip to Italy in the spring of 2020. In Rome, you'll walk in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, visit the Colosseum and the Roman Forum, then head down the beautiful Amalfi Coast to Sorrento, the Isle of Capri, and the ruins of Pompeii, all with people you feel as if you already know. For more, visit unity.org travel. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. Find the truth within yourself that heals, reveals, guides, and transforms. Tune in to Reverend Galen McDowell every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms. Take a deep dive into the practical aspects of new thought teaching, starting with forgiveness, spiritual healing, prosperity, and more. Reverend McDowell welcomes some amazing guests, and topics can range from reincarnation to the Bible to science. Big plans to join the show here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Everybody, I'm just so happy that you're spending this time with us today. 
want to let you know that Main Street Vegan is all over the place. I mean, obviously, we are on Unity Online Radio. This is our hosting site. This is where we do the live radio show every Wednesday afternoon, at least it's Wednesday afternoon in North America. And we've been on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for a long time. But now we're also on Google Podcasts and we are on Spotify. So uh, whether you like to listen online or on apps, we're just all over the place and so happy to have you with us. If you happen to listen on Apple Podcasts and you'd like to give us a nice review and five of those beautiful delectable stars, oh my gosh, I would appreciate that so much personally because that does help more people know about this podcast and it helps more people know about going vegan. I also just want to do a shout out to the Main Street Vegan blog this week, which is very special. It's actually a guest recipe from Susie Amos Cameron. She was on the show a couple of months ago. And as you know, uh, she is the wife of James Cameron, the uh, film producer, and they do so many incredible things out there in California with their vegan school and so much else. And this is an incredible recipe for sun-dried tomato and asparagus lasagna. Oh my gosh, my Italian half is getting hungry as we speak. So do take a look over there and thank you so much. Now it is my pleasure to introduce to you someone that I heard speak a few months ago at the Grand Rapids Veg Fest in Michigan. I was literally riveted by this woman's talk. And I know you're going to be riveted by what she has to share with us today. She is Dr. Leanne Fritz, one of the best choices when you want to live symptom-free and reach optimal wellness. Her degrees are in exercise science, uh, master's degree in live and vegan nutrition, PhD in natural medicine with an emphasis in quantum physics. She's a nationally trusted practitioner, researcher, entrepreneur, and author who loves to empower others to achieve optimal wellness. And we're going to be talking today about wellness on the inside, wellness on the emotional side. And you know what? It all connects. Welcome, Dr. Fritz. Thank you, Victoria. I'm so glad to be with you. Well, I am so glad to finally be talking to you because I would have taken up the whole Q&A and been really greedy, <laughs> uh, except I knew you were going to come on this show and I didn't have to do that. So let's start a little bit with your story. How, how did you become who you are today? Um, you know, what I really want to focus on is the, the part of my story that that relates to what we're going to talk about today, and that is 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 being vegan enough is the food piece enough it's important it's so important it's a big part of my life it's been a big part of my um education but um basically the the piece of my story that led me to this this whole um sort of educational piece about helping people understand the the non-physical side of health is that I um, I first got my degree in exercise science, so I, I was an expert in exercise, and I thought you could exercise your way out of everything or anything. And um, you know, as you probably have guessed, and and some of you have probably um, seen, you can exercise and exercise and exercise, and some people get great results, and other people still struggle. Um, and so then I pursued a degree in nutrition. I got a, a degree in live vegan nutrition from um, the school that Dr. Gabriel Cousins runs. It was amazing. It was helpful. I felt like I, was, I could help even more people. 
Um, but in my practice, what I was finding is I have clients um, that travel from travel in from all over the country, young and old, male, female, every condition you can think of, um, infants with ear infections, older people with cancer, heart disease, diabetes, all kinds of things. But they all have one thing in common. The less stress, the more success. So those that are doing all the right things, and I had clients like this. I was so, I, you know, I felt so bad. I'm, I want to help these people. And they would come to me and, and they would do all the right things and not get the results until we started adding this piece of reducing stress and sort of dealing with the, the inner person, if you will. Well, it's absolutely important. And I've been thinking about it so much the past few days myself. I just got back from London mm -hmm. and I went to the Body Worlds exhibit, which is just, it's a tourist thing. Uh -huh. And they're, they use uh, cadavers who had volunteered mm -hmm. to donate their bodies after their death. And mm -hmm. you can actually see the inner workings of the body. So mm -hmm. I went in there thinking, I'm going to look at ligaments and tendons and all these things that I have strained and sprained and torn <laughs> over the years. I'm really going to, you know, get See my whole like. <laughs> exercise self, uh, you know, to, together from this exhibit. But what I got was the connection between the body and the mind and how it's so important to do things like laugh and, yeah. and meditate and take some time off and don't overwork. So I feel transformed and really ready to talk with you today. So, so as a health practitioner, what's the basic role that stress is playing in problems that people have? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I, you know, I would say we have to step back a little bit and understand that over 90%, probably 97% of everything we do, every bite we take, every um, word we speak, it comes from the subconscious mind. So when we're, when we're talking about even people who are really into the nutrition and, you know, we've all had that where like we, maybe you've gone vegan for a while and then you kind of fall off or you're eating really well for a while and you fall off. There's a mental or emotional piece there, um, that I would say it, it makes up the majority of, of what we need. So, um, you know, when we talk about stress and what is it actually doing? First, I want to just mention, we're talking about all types of stress. So a trip to London, for example, is a beautiful and hopefully fun thing, but stress can come in the form of the, you know, intense radiation you're receiving on a plane with recycled air, um, as well as the, you know, the stress of coming back and maybe being behind on work or whatever. So it's not just physical stress. It's not just emotional stress. It's this conglomeration of all of it. Um, and so, you know, the stress response is essentially the body's effort to restore balance, you know, emotional stress, any kind of stress, anything that throws our body out of balance is, you know, is what we're going to consider stress. So this, the body naturally on its own goes into a, a fight or flight mode, which is a great thing if we're actually in danger, um, but it's not meant to, we're, we're not meant to live in that space. So, you know, in terms of, it's a great question in terms of, um, you know, what's it actually doing and, um, the implications are endless. So, um, you know, when we think about the, the causes for stress, like I said, it's, it's all types. It's, it's the feeling of lack, inadequacy, not being smart enough, thin enough, wise enough, 
having not having enough money, all these insecurities, family stresses, you know, a lack of sleep is a huge stress on the body. So, um, you know, so what is it doing? Well, what actually happens when we're stressed? Um, sometimes, I mean, some of these things are obvious. You're, you're, you know, most people know, you know, when you're stressed, you're more likely to have headaches and you're, you know, you just don't feel as good. Um, but what's actually going on in the body, one of the huge things that happens is your, your body's actually preparing to fight or run as though you were being attacked. So that response is perfect and wonderful and helpful in that moment. So, you know, that response is meant to last, you know, maybe a few seconds to a few minutes, maybe an hour at the most. And then we should come down and relax because by that point we've either conquered the enemy or we've been killed, like, you know, from a, from a, just a physical sense. So, you know, when your body prepares to fight or run, your blood pressure goes up your, um, it, you know, it promotes insulin resistance, more fat is stored because you don't have time to eat when you're fighting, you know, um, glucose comes pouring out of the muscles so that you can fight or run if as needed, um, your vitamins and minerals are used up really quickly. Your immune system goes down, you know, when you're, when you're running for your life metaphorically, but you know, you understand what I mean there, um, dealing with these daily stresses, your body's not ready. It's not going to fight infection when you're in that mode, because it's, it's like, why fight infection if you might die? Um, and not to be dramatic, but that is essentially the, that survival mechanism is what is, um, you really, the purpose of that, um, sympathetic or parasympathetic, the, the balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so, you know, on the good side, your senses become sharper. If you actually are in trouble, um, you know, that's a great thing. Um, but you know, so many of us are, are living in this We're you know, many of you, many of the listeners, you probably experienced this where you're, you're so tired all day. You're just kind of dragging and you, you can't seem to get your energy. And then what happens when you lay down? You're like, ah, doo -doo -doo, like you can't fall asleep. And that is exactly, you know, when you're in that fight or flight mode, that's exactly what's going on. You're, you're sort of running from lions, um, in your head, if you will, even when you're trying to sleep. So you're laying there, you're comfortable, you're in a, you know, peaceful, quiet, dark room, hopefully, and you're not in any danger. But if your mind, your mind doesn't actually know the difference between real and perceived. It's why you can watch a scary movie and your heart rate goes up. It's why, you know, somebody, you know, screams on a movie and you go, <gasps> like nothing even happened. And yet, you know, we feel that like very visceral um, response. So, um, when you're stressed, you, you don't sleep as well, a, a huge, huge component. And this has so many implications on uh, digestive issues, skin issues, excuse me, skin issues, um, immune response, um, uh, almost anything you can think of the, the, um, the body's ability to have good energy during the day, sleep good at night is that you, you don't digest your food. Um, and it, it makes sense, right? If you, you know, if you're running from lions, do you need to make sure that that carbohydrate is digested? And that's not the time to do that, right? That's the time to use what's stored. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, it's also fascinating. One of the things that I learned in, in the Body Worlds exhibit was mm. the connection of happiness, contentment, mm. and the state of the gut. Yep. And so that digestion piece is, is huge. And mm -hmm. even the idea that the gut has a brain. Can yes. you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, and in essentially what happens is, yeah, the idea of the the gut, I mean, here's here's what we have to remember. You are made of, this is kind of going back to basics, but I, I just want to lay the groundwork. You're made of what you ate yesterday. And of course, the day before and the week before. Your new cells are made of what you consume. It, whatever you give it to work with, your body's smart. It will work with. So if you want new eyeball cells made out of, you know, fast food or meat, dairy, eggs, hopefully we're not, we're not, we're getting away from those things, but then you will, your body will do whatever it can to make the best new eyeball cells out of that. Um, if you want the, the best brain cells or eye cells or, or whatever, if then, you know, that's where we're talking more in the nutrition, you need to consume the, the best quality foods, the plant-based foods, the whole foods, the organic foods that will help you make, you know, new cells out of good raw material. Um, and so, yeah, the idea of the, that gut brain connection, um, it goes back to what I said earlier that the, the subconscious mind is really running things. So you don't have to tell, thank God, right? You don't have to tell your heart to beat. You don't have to tell your food to get digested. You don't have to, if you cut your hand, you don't have to focus on that. Um, it just heals. If, it, you know, if assuming you're in relatively decent health, it just heals. Um, and that's, the, that's really the um, sort of the, the internal subconscious um, brain kicking in for us. Utterly fascinating. So what do we do? Here we are. It's 2019. There is all kinds of stress coming from everywhere. And I frankly think technology, I was talking to the earlier guest about some of the social media and, you know, things that people mm. say to one another. Yeah. How do we deal in a practical way? Yeah, it's a great question. And there is hope. There are answers. There's good news. You don't have to suffer continually. But like any change, it, it does come at a sacrifice. So we may have to, it's a great point about the media. We may have to, you know, shut it down for a time. I think sometimes that's important, whether it's, you know, no, no social media or no electronics would be even better after 6 PM, or maybe it's take a week off or whatever it is. But I've got some, some simple things that I, I like to share a, a couple quick do nots, and then a whole bunch of things that are really helpful. So if you're in a situation where you're in extremely high stress, um, and, you know, I, I might encourage our listeners to maybe ask if ask a loved one, do you feel like I'm really, really high stress? Some, some of us will admit this readily. And some of us in our, in our toughness, maybe some of you are like me where you're like, I'm fine. You know, I could keep going. Um, but we need to be real about this. If you're in a state of sort of immense stress, maybe you're caregiving or you have a, a family issue or a job situation or, um, you know, maybe just something you're worried about that's causing you a lot of stress. There's just three quick things I want to mention, um, not to do. This is not, this is where you want to really work with the body, be gentle with the body. This is not the time to do intense cleansing. Um, this is not the time you're already depleted, right? We don't want to, we don't want to further deplete you. So this is not the time to flush out, to do any cleansing. This is not the time for intense exercise, um, walking, gentle yoga, stretching, um, whatever feels good is great. I'm, please don't hear me. I'm not saying don't exercise, but this is not the time when you're already depleted to push yourself to run marathons. Um, and then I would say, don't isolate yourself for long periods of time. 
figure out who your safe people are, get some safe people around you. Um, and so those are kind of the, the sort of the negative side to avoid. Um, so at a broader scale, okay, what can we do? Um, of course, let go of the things you can't control. There are some things we just can't control. Um, you know, things like the weather and the president and, um, you know, we could, we could go on and on. We can't control that. So as much as humanly possible, we need to let that stuff go. We need to focus more on the things that we can change or can control. And so the, one of the biggest things that I share with people is make a long list of things that reduce stress in your life. Um, and these can be things, some of them take a minute or two. Some of them take a day, but things, these, these need to be incorporated into our everyday life. Some of these might be, you know, taking a vacation on the beach or something that's going to be maybe hopefully a couple times a year, but we need to do at least something every day. So just, you know, this can be whatever resonates with you, but time in nature, bare feet in the, in the grass, in the sand, whatever you love exercise. Intense exercise can be helpful if you're not in a really depleted state. Um, gentle exercise is great. Music, finding a you know a place, a quiet place to rest. Meditation, prayer, stretching, laughter. You mentioned which is amazing. We just can't put a price on these things. Um, guided relaxation, deep breathing. Um, sometimes just giving yourself the gift of going to bed early, just shutting it down and going to bed at eight o'clock instead of midnight. Um, lots of good nutrition, um, dancing, journaling, meditation. Of course, there's some supplements that can be helpful. Um, body work like massage, um, self-care of almost any kind is going to have a huge restorative effect. So this can be time in the sauna. It can be a castor oil pack over your kidneys. It can be a, a mineral bath, like a Epsom salt bath. Um, of course, sex is the ultimate stress reliever, unless it causes more stress, then maybe don't go there. <laughs> um, time with, you know, calm and positive people, anything that relieves pressure from your mind. So it could be something as simple as making a list, calling a friend, anything that sort of lets that whatever is burdening you lets it loose. Um, and then the other thing is just foresee stressful times and plan to sort of compensate for them. If you know that the 4th of July is uh, always a stressful family gathering or a stress, you know, whatever, then the day before, the day after, plan some extra rest, plan some extra good nutrition, plan some time to do some of the self-care um, because your body knows. We, we manifest these, um, we have physical manifestations of what's going on in the non-physical. So I think, you know, hopefully that gives you a few ideas, but you know, it has to resonate with you. So if there's something not on the list, this is not a hard and fast list. It's just make it work for you so that you're getting a little tiny piece of vacation every day. I love that because I have a list. I just call it my favorite things list, but I think mm. it's a lot what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I put it on the inside of my closet door because mm. on a regular day when I'm basically happy and content and everything is just moving right along, yep. I know all the things that make me happy. I don't mm -hmm. need a list. But when I get down mm -hmm. and get tired and yep. life looks bleak, then I need a list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that stuff just doesn't come uh, to top of mind. So that's yeah. really wonderful. Excellent. 
My guest is Dr. Leanne Fritz. Uh, her book is Get Healthy Now. And you know, that is at the top of my list, Leanne, reading. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whether it's instructive nonfiction reading, which I really like, or every now and then some kind of fiction, take me yep. away. It's fun. Yep. It's uh, it's a great thing. And I learned recently, it also helps ward off Alzheimer's. So mm, I'll yep. take it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And, you know, I want to just add to be compassionate like you would want compassion for yourself. Be compassionate to those around you. That will alleviate your own stress. And you just don't know what it will mean to someone else. I I always I really resonate with the example how, you know, some stressors, what is a stress to you may not be a stress to me. So for some people, if I told them to go run three miles they would be like, oh, yes, I have been wanting to make time for that. It feels so good when I run. Others of you would like think I was punishing you, you know. Um, I always use the example of like a traffic jam. You know, you see somebody in a traffic jam and they're like, oh, good. Now everyone stopped. I have time to put my makeup on. And you see somebody else who's like in road, road rage because they're going to lose their job if they don't get to work on time. So, you know, that... That compassion, just kind of working with yourself first and then the people around you of recognizing that things that I get really worked up about might be no big deal to your, you know, your spouse or your kids or your neighbor or whatever. So I think practicing self-compassion first and then compassion with others is another really special piece to that. Uh-huh. So I'm sure you work with a lot of people who are really trying to do everything perfect health-wise. Uh-huh. And you know, it's great to try to live healthfully, but that becomes another stress. How, how can we get that in some sort of balance? Yeah, it's a good question. Because I do, I, do, I do occasionally have somebody who's like, what if I eat one too many cashews? And I'm like, oh, oh gosh, if that's the worst of your day, then you're doing great. Um, but, you know, some people do need to, especially if you have chronic disease or something, then it does become uh, a bigger issue for you. But um, yeah, it's a good question. We want to be healthy. So when as soon as eating healthy becomes a stressful obsession, it's no longer healthy. So we need to sort of redefine that. Um, as soon as taking your supplements or drinking water is causing your blood pressure to go up um, because you're so worried or so self-condemning because you didn't get enough or do enough or whatever, then it's not healthy anymore. So, you know, it's, it's really important. You know, I once wrote my foods down. I, I recorded, I used a, an app called My Fitness Pal, you may be familiar with. I did it for um, 300 and I think 87 days or something like that. I wrote every single thing down I ate for over a year. And um, this was many years ago. The first couple months, it was extremely helpful. After that, it was driving me to the ground and it took me several months to realize this is no longer serving me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so continually evaluating, is this working? Is it helping me? And you know, another big thing for myself personally, I mean, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I, I'm very educated and passionate in this field, but you know what? I still need help. I have a coach. I have a doctor that I go to. Um, I have a team around me. You can't do it alone. So whatever your battle, we don't tend to see ourselves perfectly clearly we're, we're either selectively self-righteous or more often we're selectively hard on ourselves. Um, and so it does really help get help. It could be from a doctor. It might just be from a friend or a neighbor, 
but don't go it alone because it's just, it's too hard of a battle that creates more stress when you're trying to do it in a silo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. This is great. Just in our last minute, uh, you have mentioned supplements a couple of times. What are some of your favorites uh, for mental health? Yeah, for, uh, specifically for supporting the, the brain and nervous system during times of high stress. Of course, I'm assuming these supplements are just that. They're supplements to a good diet. So that's always first. A good greens powder I really love. And I have some things on my website you're welcome to look at. That's not really my purpose here today. But the sub, I have an a online store you can look. Um, but I've got... Um, I like to use a greens powder. I like to use a very uh, high quality B complex. Um, remember your, your vitamins and minerals get burned up really fast when you're under stress. So that's key. And then digestive support, digestive enzymes um, are really key because you're not digesting your food very well when you're under a lot of stress, um, which one more quick thing, easy thing. When you're under a lot of stress, when you go to eat, Take a few deep breaths, even 30 seconds to just lower that stress response so that your body can actually use the good food that you're putting in it. Some of these things are so simple and so valuable. So I want to give you Dr. Fritz's website. And of course, this will be on our show notes as well. Newhopehealth.com is a website. She's New Hope Health with hyphens on Facebook. Uh, and uh, Leanne Fritz, uh, L-E-A-N-N-F-R-I-T-Z on LinkedIn. And as I say, those will be on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. As of next week, we are going to be entering our eighth year of this program, and we're going to have a new outro. So if you want to be in on the contest to help come up with the new outro, then just let me know what you're thinking over at the Facebook group, Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners, or drop me a note, Victoria at MainStreetVegan.net. In the meantime, thanks so much, Dr. Leanne Fritz. Thanks to Chelsea Lincoln, Fat Vegan Voice. Thanks to Unity Online Radio. And most of all, thanks, oh, oodles and heaps and gobs to you for spending this time with us today. Finally, unless I decide I'm going to hang on to it, mm, God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify.